chapter number three in your Bibles as we continue this series on foundations. I'm going to try to be brief tonight. We have guest missionaries in town, the Kellers, going to Italy, and uh, there's a brief video we want to see, and so we'll watch that as he introduces that a little bit later at the very end of the message. So perhaps I'll try to be brief as we look at Genesis chapter three. Verse six again says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Father in heaven, please help us now to open our hearts and minds and to focus our thoughts and hearts on your word and what the spirit has to say. As we've been looking, Lord, in these these foundational truths, we've been reminded, God, that we desperately need them, that our country needs them, that our church needs them. And thank you for providing them in your eternal word, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week in this series, we took time to consider the foundations. You will remember the very beginnings of what is now known as sin. The fall itself is a fundamental truth that is absolutely crucial to understanding basically everything. Everything that is about human nature, human behavior, and human remedies for all of that. If you don't understand the fall, and I mean understand it, believe it, embrace it, if you don't understand the fall and the law of sin, then your child-rearing methods are going to be whack, or I should say way out of whack. Your level of frustration in life is going to be off the charts. Your ability to understand personal conflict and things like war, poverty, law enforcement, justice, wealth, you just name it. People who reject the foundations of what is truly wrong with man never, ever embrace the true and the right remedies for it. Today, our very worst cities are little laboratories right now of what happens when people in authority don't believe Genesis chapter 3. When people in authority, you see what's happening in France, not just in America, in France right now, if you don't believe that man is fallen, if you don't believe that man is fundamentally flawed because of the fall, then everything else falls apart. In fact, what the world believes, and I mentioned these people running our cities now, they actually believe the exact opposite of what the foundational truths are. They believe that every baby's an angel, just an angel. That every person is an enlightened god or goddess. So that, you know, if you give a 20-year-old man, an athlete, $150 million to play basketball, well, he'll be a model citizen and a model human and man. And he'll, he'll treat women with respect. He'll take all that money that he suddenly has and he'll take care of his body and he'll share that wealth with the impoverished neighborhood that he came from. Really. When I lived in East Tennessee and I watched and we would go in those mountains and parts of West Virginia, they were like, you know, give these people money. Give all these people lots of money and free education and food there in Appalachia and so forth. And they too, you give them housing, free housing, they'll take care of all that housing and they will improve their lives. Well, 60 years after Senator, Senator Kennedy's experiment, Appalachia is just as poor just as drug-laden and sad as it was before. In spite of a trillion dollars being pumped into that region, pumped into our inner, inner cities. 
Our cities are even worse. Our education system is a disaster, a failed system. So again, you get it wrong on this, and that's the reason why. You get it wrong on this, you'll get it wrong on everything. And so it is, and so it goes, that we as believers who do understand the law of sin, and I trust that you do tonight, we taught about it last week, who do believe in the fall, that man is born a sinner, strange from the womb, we're sinners. And if you believe in all of its ramifications, it's very important to note that the Bible goes much deeper than that for your sake. For your sake and for my sake, for our understanding and our benefit as human beings, as dads and mothers and grandparents and brothers and sisters, the Bible does address the remedy, the reasons, and the results of the great fall of man. In last week's study, we noted that Eve was deceived. She was deceived by the devil, and as such, Satan attacked one thing, one thing entirely. He attacked the Word of God. He always attacks the Word of God. And that is precisely because faith in the Word of God, faith in what God says in this book, is our greatest weapon and our greatest tool. For Eve, we just read three things in this verse a moment ago in verse 6 that basically led to her fall. She saw, she coveted, and she took. Now, folks, you follow that through from Genesis to Revelation to people in this room right now and people who ought to be here who aren't here right now, and you will find it's the same pattern. Achan comes up to the spoils in Jericho. He saw, he coveted, and he took. David, he saw, he coveted, and he took. And by the way, with Achan, when he saw and coveted and took, multitudes of people died. With David, he saw, he coveted, and he took what wasn't his, and multitudes of people died. Samson, he saw, he coveted, and he took. Even in the world, Nebuchadnezzar, he saw, he coveted, and he took. Now, let me say this. There's obviously nothing wrong with seeing. God put the tree right there in the garden as being visible. What is wrong, what was wrong, it is always wrong, is coveting it. It is desiring something that is not yours or mine to have which, of course, does address human nature, human frailty, and the beginnings of God's remedy for it. Years ago, I remember in one of our psych texts in seminary, there was an entire section in there, a third of the book, on the subject of delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. And it said that they had this astonishing study of toddlers. It wasn't astonishing to me. Astonishing of little toddlers that whenever a child, and this was a 15-year study, was, was not taught delayed gratification, the consequences of that in that child's life were devastating. And that any society where delayed gratification is not an, an ingrained ethic, ingrained in their hearts and their minds, that community will be full of crime and anger and violence. This child over here, learns to wait for some product or for some pleasure. This child over here, we call it spoiled or whatever, this one doesn't wait. This one thinks that it's unfair, that it's cruel, that it's, it's unjust to have to wait for something they want right now. I want it now, Daddy. Isn't that what Veruca says? That's that child. Those two children can be in the same school same neighborhood, 
The study said that they can even come from the same family. But those two children are on two completely different paths. One will lead to prison and death. The other typically leads to contentment and success. And you know, I remember reading that in, in class and studying some of that and thinking to myself, you know, that's all true, but the Bible goes much deeper. The Bible is the, is the living Word of God. It is the wisdom of heaven on how to live on this earth. And the Bible goes even deeper than what is patently obvious to most of us here about delayed gratification. The foundation of all of this reveals so much more as to how and why concerning the nature of man. Beginning again with this very first temptation and the first tactic that is used by Satan. This really is the single greatest, strongest device the devil has ever, ever used. And folks, if you wonder about that, if you think I'm using some kind of hyperbole there, and why do I use the word greatest and strongest and biggest and so forth, I'll just remind you that first of all, one thing it was, it was the first tactic. It's right here in the foundations. The first one that it was ever used. For another thing, it's the one that devastated Lucifer himself. Lucifer fell for a reason from heaven, from his place. Same one. And also, it was the one device and temptation that led to the worst result, and that was the fall and death and sin. It's the same one that Satan used on Jesus in the wilderness. To this very day, this utterly destructive enticement remains the most common universal weakness of the human heart, including with believers and believers in this room. When Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his tactics, you can be sure that Paul perfectly knew this device. It was well known by that man. Indeed, in fact, in Romans 7, when Paul was listing and pointing to the purpose of the law and all of the commandments, it was this specific temptation that he attaches personally in his own heart. It's subtle deceptive it is ever present but for the child of God who holds the shield of faith and the word of God in other words if you believe the Bible and you will live and embrace the Bible on this issue that device is weakened and quenchable and entirely defeatable it's one thing to teach a child the virtue of delayed gratification or to embrace it yourself it's a whole other thing altogether to see and to trust all that God shows in his word about the nature of man. Now again, you'll notice that Satan uses this universal weakness. It's magnified, as the Bible said it would be, in these last days. In the human heart, it is basically this. For Eve, in the garden, it's called the fear of missing out. How many of you are familiar with the fear of missing out? Raise your hands. How many are familiar with the acronym FOMO? Raise your hands. The fear, I preached on that once, of missing out. In modern terms, it's sort of this uneasy, sometimes all-consuming feeling that you're missing out on what your neighbors or your friends or other family members are doing or acquiring for themselves. One of the main reasons for the huge popularity and explosion in social media you know you talk about satan be the prince of the power of the air and he knows how to use media one of the main reasons for the explosion of social media its secret sauce is that people are compelled 
in this society, all over the world, even addicted to constantly going back to Facebook, Instagram, their own private groupings, and they want to go back and feel as if they're in the loop. But here's the problem, and it is a problem, and young people hear this. It's a horrible problem. The problem is when trying to soothe this feeling of missing out and this fear that they're missing out, they go in there and they'll check on, this is not a sermon against Facebook or any of that, because some people use it wisely and well, but they go in and they check on Facebook only to find that somebody they know or somebody they're related to just posted a bunch of pictures of a sunset in Bali or Tahiti or a a selfie in Paris, Eiffel Tower's behind them, they're doing this, you know. And they have these pictures and, and a hike in the Amazon rainforest and they're holding a wild monkey. I don't know. Fancy dinner at the Ritz. But in this picture on social media, the person with this person at the fancy dinner at the Ritz used to be your best friend or you thought was your best friend. And so it goes. And that causes them to want to go and manufacture some unrealistic awesomeness of their own. Some unbelievably fun even spiritual experience, where, look at me, I'm swimming with the dolphins. And even though you were sick, and the dolphins didn't like you, the photos don't show that. The photo shows you're healthy, and the dolphins are in love with you. So you post that one, and it takes you 5,000 pictures to get the right one, and so it goes. Consequently, long before the, you know, the people, the Bali people, uh, see their awesomeness, Some struggling mom in Georgia, she goes on and she sees it and she feeds her own fear of missing out. So she's off to take pictures of the mountains three hours away, up in the Smokies. And it's a cycle. And not surprisingly, it led to an entirely new focus in the realm of psychology and pathologies that's exploding right now in our country and the world. Studies have concluded, studies have concluded that three-quarters of the American, American adults are becoming paralyzed. They are becoming depressed because of this cycle of wishing and wishing and wanting and wanting and wanting something that they can't have or, even worse, they're not supposed to have. And, you know, this is nothing new. It's not just because of social media and the old days before Internet even existed. Agnes got on the phone, telephone, dialed up Mildred and said, well, did you hear? The Kelseys, they got a brand new 1957 Cadillac Eldorado. Yeah, I heard. That's because Bob got a promotion. And they're, on, they're going to take their new Cadillac and they're going to Las Vegas. And I've always wanted to go to Las Vegas and blah, 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 blah. It's nothing new, believe me. In fact, earlier we alluded to Paul's own admission to this 2,000 years ago in talking in Romans chapter 7 about the law. He said the law reveals our heart. And while he could have mentioned any number of sins or commandments in the law, he got very personal. Here's what he said. I, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I would not have known covetousness, except the law had said thou shalt not covet. Paul coveted? Paul desired things? Well, of course he did. We all do. And not just today, not just in the 1950s, 
Not just in the days of Paul. No, you have to go all the way back to our text. You have to go all the way back to the very beginning, to the foundations of it all in the garden, and you will see that Satan attacked Eve on one thing. Eve, you're missing out. You don't want to miss out. Satan came to Eve and he basically told her, not only are you missing out on the experience and the taste of that tree that God says you can't have. Now, she could have every tree of the garden and freely. But the devil says, look at that one. Not only can you not have the taste, it's got to be amazing, the one you can't have. You're missing out on the knowledge and the deity that that tree provides. And of course, as we noted earlier, it was Lucifer himself who somewhere in eternity past in heaven itself as one of the three great archangels said to himself, I wonder what it's like to be as a God. There's a Father, a Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why not Lucifer? I'm missing out on something. And the Bible says that was the beginning of his fall. The fear is a deceitful, diabolical, debilitating and destructive force in carnal men. And you know, it is a guaranteed path. As we mentioned, we don't need studies for this of toddlers. It is a guaranteed path of pain and misery. But again, beloved, not for everyone. Not everybody falls for the devil's lies. Some of you are testimony of that right now. That's because, and that's only because, somewhere along the line you embrace the truth. Somewhere, Jesus said this, the truth will make you free. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And what is the truth that destroys the fear of missing out? What's the remedy? What's the antidote, if you will, against it? Well, let's go back again to what Satan said to Eve. What he did was plant this idea in her head that no matter what she already had, and remember, she had everything. Everything. But no matter what she had, God had more that he kept to himself. Therefore, she was missing out. Satan always exploits this notion that who we are and what we have is not enough. But what is the truth? What is it? What was the reality for Eve and Adam? What is the reality for every child of God in this room? It's really very simple. Just like Adam and Eve. Exactly like Adam and Eve in the garden long, long ago, we all have enough. Look again at our text, Genesis chapter 2. Go back a page, would you? Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. There's those strong words again. Every tree and freely. And you'll remember in last week's study, when Eve quoted this, she left out every and freely. Right? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. By the way, what do you have in this one text? What do you have right here? You have, number one, the word of God. God told this. Number two, the will of God. The word of God revealed the will of God. You can eat anything you want, but not this. That's the will of God. And number three, you have the wonders of God. Those trees, however many there were, thousands or whatever, that she could eat, the Bible says they were pleasant to the sight and good for food. So right there, 
At the very beginning, man has what you have. The word of God, the will of God, and the wonder of God. All of the blessings that come from him. In other words, they had everything. They had enough, they had more than enough, way more than enough. Never to be tempted to sin. And it would have stayed that way, except for one thing. Contentment or discontentment. We already noticed the emphasis on covetousness. Eve saw, that was first. She coveted, and then the Bible says she took it. So what was and is the remedy for that? Because again, if you don't get this foundation right now, at the very beginning of your Christian walk or, or any country or a child's life, training it, everything will be off. The remedy is contentment. Now follow this carefully. That means content with God's word. You don't need more than that. Oh, I got to have this experience. I got to speak in tongues. I got to do that. I got contentment. It's called the sufficiency of the scripture. Contentment with God's word. Contentment with God's will. I should have been born taller. Skinnier. Well, you can work on that. Better looking. Sorry, stuck with that one. I should have been born in another country. I should have had this. I don't like, that's not being content with God's will. So, it is contentment with God's word, God's will, and God's wonders. All the blessings that you have that are all around you, every good gift comes from above. Let me quickly show you this in the Bible. I'm going to try to be quick. Time for our missionary. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We may have the verse up there. Look at verse 6 first of all. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me stop there for a minute. Wouldn't you think that Paul could just write, godliness is great gain? That's what Adam and Eve had. They had godliness. They were living in godliness. Godliness is great gain. But the Holy Spirit inspired him to say this, godliness with contentment is great gain. What's the next verse say? For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. That goes right back to Adam and Eve again. They brought nothing into the world. They're going to take nothing with them. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 8, and having, here it is, food and raiment, food and clothes, let us therewith, with those two things, be content. What? Now, wait a minute. In the garden, what did Adam and Eve already and always have? Godliness, food, and raiment. They were clothed in light before they sinned, and then God clothed them after. They had godliness, they had food, they had raiment. So that all that they needed, all they really needed to do was just trust God's word. God said, don't do this, and it will be fine. You'll be here forever. All they had to do was trust the word of God and thus be content with what they have. The great text in Luke blows my mind. I want you to see it. This is the great text where John the Baptist, of course, is being sent to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. It's an amazing text. And in John the Baptist's message, I don't have time. I was going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to have you look at it. Is it up there? Luke chapter 3. Now think about this. Verse 14. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, 
And what shall we do? So in other words, the Pharisees said, what do we do? The people said, what do we do? The scribes, what do we do? The soldiers, the Roman soldiers, perhaps the Israeli soldiers, likewise demand him, saying, and what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. What? Be, here it is. John the Baptist prophesied in Malachi comes in the spirit of Elijah and he's preaching repentance and get ready, make the smooth places, make the rough places smooth, get ready for the Messiah. He's preaching that Christ is coming. He's, he's the prophet that precedes him and this prophet is to call for the valleys to be filled and the mountains leveled, the crooked and rough places to be made smooth for the coming of the Messiah. He is a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And what does he tell the people? The soldier said, what do we need to do to get ready for Jesus? He said, be content with your paycheck. Be content, he said, with your wages. The message of John the Baptist included the command that people needed to repent and be content. That's what he said. And that's because it goes back to the foundation. It is one of the most oft-repeated powerful commands in Scripture for every child of God. It is wrapped up in this one word, contentment. The publicans, if they were content, they wouldn't cheat. That's what Jesus was telling them, or John the Baptist earlier. The, sail- the soldiers, if they were content, they wouldn't lie. That's what he's talking about, don't lie in court. The people, if they were content, they wouldn't be selfish. Hebrews 13.5 says that be content with such things as ye have. Again, right back to the garden. Whatever you have, the will of God, the word of God, the wonder of God, be content right now with that. Now, does that mean that you're not, if you eat an apple, it's wrong to want another apple? Of course not. Does that mean if you get a raise in your paycheck and you're a soldier, you should say, no, no. Doesn't mean that at all. All you have to do is go back and listen to our earlier study. God has provided richly all things to enjoy. Contentment means you don't have to. You don't have to, to be happy, to be content. You don't have to have more and more and more. It really means that you're already right now thankful and happy with whatever God has for you, his will, his word, and his wonder. And yet in all of this simplicity... What is the one message, think of this, beloved, what is the one message our society never repeats? I want you to consider this for a moment. Go to media. Go to tonight's news at 11 o'clock. Watch the news. Look at the newspaper. Listen to every story. The books, the narratives, the Hollywood movies. What is the one message that they do not repeat, that is not embraced? It is this singular message. That you are blessed enough to be content with what you have. The heroes in America are the, are the, the Kaepernicks, the Colin Kaepernicks who, who kneel during the national anthem because they're, he's got millions and millions and millions of dollars, but he's not happy. He's not content, and he doesn't want you to be content. He doesn't want the country to be content. That's the hero. It's the Greta Thunbergs, the whiniest, richest girl on earth. But she wants you to be whining. Have you ever seen a picture of her smiling? I think if you find one, it'll probably be scary. Like, These are the heroes. Twitter celebrities who do nothing but complain and gripe. Entire 
blogs and websites and, and programs where all they do is go on there and live hate. Those are the heroes. That's what's feeding your young people. Don't be happy with your country. Ben and Jerry's put out a thing yesterday about we need to give all of our land back. Ben and Jerry's, these, these rich Vermont people whose, by the way, they found out today that all of their ice cream shops are built on property that were once owned by the Indians. They should do it first. But what are they doing? Just be discontent. Be angry with your country. On, on the 4th of July. Many years ago, Charles Alexander, leaving a hotel, great songwriter, and he said a little boy came up to him and asked him, if he had any clothes that he didn't need and he could spare. And Mr. Alexander said, well, son, I've got some shoes. What size do you wear? And the boy said, it depends. It depends on who gives them. Sometimes I wear sixes and sometimes I wear elevens. And Charles Alexander went home and he wrote in his Bible, I have learned in whatsoever shoes I am, therewith to be content. That's exactly how practical this is. It's being content with God's will I remember in Wesley's journal one time reading one of the entries he put the night he returned from a, a long journey. This was a man who rode on horseback in his 80s when he was sick. Long distances just to preach the Bible, the gospel. He came back from one of those journeys where he had been pelted with rocks, which happened often. And he found that his house had been burned to the ground. And he wrote in his journal, 1771, Wednesday, January 2nd, the Lord's building burned while I was away. One less thing for me to worry about. I wonder if our heart can ever get to the point to where we can be content. Satan, it's, it, I hate to use the word Satan-proof, devil-proof. But that's how you prepare your way for Christ. Be content with what you have. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for your word. I pray God will recognize that there is a, there is a foundation to all of the heartaches and the problems and the sufferings that are in this society, in this world, and it goes to the message tonight that Eve had a fear that she was missing out on something better or more than what she had. Please help our young people not to fall into this trap in our own selves, not to be discontented with what you have for us, your will, your word, and the wonders you give us. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.